Uh, good morning. I want to thank Roger Williams. Roger preached two weeks ago. Uh, his sermon was Seeking the Face of God. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that sermon uh, this week, go back and listen to it. Uh, thank you, Roger, for, for filling in on the 22nd. And last week, uh, my friend Dr. Mani uh, Bhagadapali from India was here sharing about India, uh, the work that he's doing there. And if, if you didn't listen to that one, uh, take some time next week to listen to that one as well. Um, or if you're already bored, go at it, you know, we'll see. So anyway, we're we glad that you're here today. We are jumping back in. Uh, Colby got that one. So uh, we're jumping back in our, our sermon on the book of Acts this morning. And as we've walked through the book of Acts, we've, we've walked through the Great Commission, how the church developed, the early struggles uh, of the church, the persecution that they faced, and how in those faces of persecution, what they decided to do was not abandon the church, but they decided to pray for boldness and courage and to lean in and commit to one another. And I saw a story this week that I think was a humorous take on committing to something, even through the challenges, even through the frustrations of it. And I think we've got that video ready, and we'll just go ahead and go to that one. I had my first piano recital the other day and was the only adult in the room. Uh, technically, I guess there were other adults in the room. I was the only one that was actually performing. Uh, these are my fellow piano students, uh, most of whom were so small that they had to use a footstool to perform. I took up piano at the age of 37 during COVID. This guy here, Micah, was a real virtuoso. And then there was me. My first song, The Sleeping Beauty Waltz, I totally froze, forgot what I was doing. It was pretty embarrassing. Uh, but I persevered, kept going. My second song was Symphony Number no. 6 by Beethoven. Finished strong, finished a lot better than that first song. Got a nice ovation from the audience at the end. I think they felt bad for me. Uh, there you can see the bald spot on top of my head. I got a nice card, cheering me on. So uh, I saw that, that TikTok this week, and I thought about like kind of how rewarding it is when you power through the challenges. Now, I'm not sure if any of you have decided to take up piano lessons at the age of 37, uh, or had to face your fears in front of a group of children who were also learning the piano. But this individual did, and it was one of those kind of neat encouragements that I think about when we face those, those challenging situ- situations and circumstances that we face in life. Now, this morning where the, the text, where we, we kind of reinsert ourselves in the text is in uh, Acts chapter 8. We'll go ahead and go to the first one. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, think about that for just a second, because the persecution intensifies here at the beginning of Acts. But the church, they don't live in fear. They don't abandon their movement. They, they continue to preach. They continue to share. They continue to, to teach who Jesus is to all those that will listen. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, the flow of Acts chapter 8 continues with Philip in Samaria until we get to verse 26, where something kind of strange happens. It's, it feels like it's an aside, 
Because we're, we're going into this movement of how the church is growing, the things that Philip is doing in this community, the, the preaching that he's doing, the movement that is growing. And then in verse 26, it's almost like Philip is pulled out of that scene, out of that growth, out of that movement to give us this side story. And it's one that a lot of us have probably heard throughout our lives, but it's important to revisit this morning when you talk about what the early church is doing and how they are growing and how they are making room for other people. In verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake. Now this is just another terminology for a pharaoh. Uh, he's essentially the, the pharaoh's treasury secretary. That's what he does. He's in charge of all the, the financial parts of her, uh, her dynasty. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now let's go back to that one real quick. <clears throat> Because we want to break down a few of the things that we're seeing develop quickly in this story. One, we're kind of told that Philip is now no longer in Samaria, but now he's, he's going on this road that's in between Jerusalem to Gaza. He now encounters this Ethiopian eunuch, who is an important official uh, in one of the Pharaoh's uh, households. And, and as he runs upon this chariot, what happens is he can hear that this individual is reading the book of Isaiah. Now, Luke in Acts is giving us a few details of what's happened. The Ethiopian eunuch has gone to Jerusalem, presumably to worship. This individual is a seeker. He's somebody that, that wants to know God. He wants to have a relationship with God. And, and in that day and age, the idea of how do you get closer to God? You go to where God is. You go to Jerusalem. And so he's, he's gone to Jerusalem to seek God, to have a deeper relationship with God. And we don't know exactly what happened when that individual went to Jerusalem, but I think we can all wager a decent guess. I think this person probably went to Jerusalem seeking God and then ran into rule followers. Now, I myself, I'm a rule follower. I love rules. I love rules for my children. They don't necessarily obey them, or let's be honest, I don't have the authority to rule my household. But I love rules. I will take my cart back no matter how far I am away from the store. I will put it in that cart corral. I am team cart wrangler. I love rules, but often rules can hinder people's ability to get to where they're going, right? Because what probably happens in this story is the Ethiopian eunuch goes to Jerusalem seeking God, and then he runs into rule followers. I guarantee you that there was somebody there at the temple when this individual was trying to go beyond where he was permitted, that said, hold up, hold up. You actually cannot go any further because of Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1. You are not permitted to go further because of this. There's a rule here that says you cannot go any further. And in this moment, this seeker, this individual that wants to have a relationship with Jesus is denied access to Jesus. I've thought a lot about this particular scene in the story and I had to do some self-reflection. Because at times in my life, if I'm honest with all of you, that I have been a, a denier of, of access to Jesus. There have been times where I've known that people were trying to seek Jesus, and I said, hey, before you seek Jesus, you got to get all these boxes checked. 
Before you have a relationship with Jesus, you've got to do X, Y, and Z to make sure that you're permitted to go deeper into the temple. I, I at times, have been that type of a rule follower. But what happens in this story is something beautiful about what God is doing in regards to making room for people who are often denied access. Because often the people who are denying access already have access, right? They have a relationship with Jesus, and they're saying, hey, for you to have a relationship with Jesus, you've got to go through all these hoops. But what Jesus does, what God does in this story is he sends Philip, and he makes a way for this person to have a relationship with God. Like, think about that. When we get in the way of people's ability to seek God, God will find a way to connect with that person. We should not be the people casting stones or hindering somebody's walk or relationship with Jesus. Rather, we should be able to walk alongside them and make that journey easier by helping them carry the load. And so when the Holy Spirit sends Philip into this, it's, it's beautiful. Because God is saying, hey, you've been denied access at one point of entry, but I'm going to provide a way to have a relationship with you. So he's reading the book of Isaiah, which it's a signal that this individual is wealthy as well, because this, the type of scroll that he would have been reading in the book of Isaiah would not have been easily accessible to everyone. And so think about that for a second. Like, he's denied access to God, but he's still seeking God. He's committed to following God and having a relationship with God, and that's where God says, hey, I'm going to send Philip to you to make sure that you have a way. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Isn't it beautiful, like, when God opens a door for us to share, like, why we believe what we're doing? A few weeks ago, uh, the, our contact from the School for the Deaf called and said, hey, we want to throw an end-of-school party for these kids uh, they're leave, leaving on a Thursday. They're leaving Friday morning. The party's on a Thursday night. Can you guys do it? I didn't look at my calendar. <laughs> I didn't ask Whitney. I said, yes, we're going to do it. Because that, that door was open. And I knew that after I said yes, if we're a yes church, if we, if we challenge and take hold of those opportunities that God places in front of us, that God can do amazing things. And so I said, Justin, yes, we'll do it. I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but we'll do it. And let me just say, like, you all provided. People gave. People shopped. People prayed. People showed up for this party. And you made it special because people were willing to say yes. We took that opportunity to go through a door that was opened, to have a bigger relationship with these students than just at Christmas. And we're already in the process of working on a back-to-school event for these kids when they return back to campus. But those things are possible when we go through the doors that God opens. And that's exactly what's happening here with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It's God keeps opening doors to provide access to this person. And Philip is trusting in God to follow God where he's taking him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Often what we do when we read passages like this is we just flatline it. But think about this. This is a person who has been denied access to God. 
denied access, entry into the temple, and he's still seeking. He still wants to know. This plea is not a plea of like, hey, who is this? Like, it's a plea of desperation. Of like, I have to know who this passage is talking about. Because the, the eunuch knows that the second that he figures it out, his life is going to be changed forever. Like, do you feel how close this person is to having a relationship with God? And even though it's been difficult and challenging and frustrating, and he's been denied access time and time again, this person still seeks God. And the story is an important and valuable reminder that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should not be throwing stones at people when they are trying to seek Jesus. We should be walking along with them, entering into their chariot and saying, how can I help you on this journey? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Now, when you talk about people who deny access, a lot of us probably have, like, things that we could say to people when they say, hey, what could deny me from being baptized right now? Like, think about that for just a second. Let's be honest with ourselves. If I'm honest with myself, like, I can go like, how long have you been a part of this church? You know, like, you know, where'd you grow up? What, have you studied the Bible? Like, we, we know all of these questions that we often ask ourselves in moments like these. And when we place ourselves in the shoes of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, we can see the passion, the joy, that feeling of how close the Ethiopian eunuch is to having a relationship with God. And when he says, look, here is water, like there's this feeling of excitement and joy that happens in this text. Because you know that he's close. You can feel that, that all the, the times of denial, all the times that he's been quoted Scripture at and said, hey, you do not have a place here. All of a sudden, that moment is almost over. It says, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. This powerful ending to the story of somebody who sought God time and time again finally has this moment of feeling included and welcomed. You can almost see the imagery of God saying, hey, for a long time in your life, you were denied room at the table. For a long time in your life, you were told that, hey, we don't have enough seats, or we can't make this arrangement work. But all of a sudden, you can see God saying, hey, let me pull up an extra chair. Your, your life journey may look different than everybody else's around the table, but you have a place here. And I always like to point out the weird things in the Bible, because the Bible to me is this unique living experience of God's role in our lives, but there's also weird things. And so in verse 39, when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Whoa! Like, let's always be honest, that's kind of wild. Baptism, boom, ghosted, gone. Doesn't see him again. The text says, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I love that Luke included that detail of the unit kind of knows this was a strange experience where this dude, as weirdly as he entered his life, strangely left in the same manner. But it doesn't bother the eunuch. 
Like, do you know why it doesn't bother the Ethiopian eunuch? It's because now he has a place at the table. It doesn't matter his point of entry. What matters is now he has a seat. Now, Acts continues kind of in a, in a more passionate way of inclusion here. Because in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Think about that. Think about what's just happened with the Ethiopian eunuch. The joy in the inclusion, the joy in the welcoming. And then Luke just switches gears immediately and goes into Luke, or Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now often we, we look at this story of, as Saul's conversion. But I, I see it as something powerful, what God is doing in this early movement for the early church. It's just a reminder that no matter where you're from or what you've done, you have a place at God's table. It's a powerful instruction of Saul's example of what he has done to the kingdom of God, how much he persecuted and hated it. Saul is about to be welcomed to that same table that the Ethiopian eunuch is. In verse 17, Saul finds his way to Damascus. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you, sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we talked a little bit about those people that deny access. For a moment, put yourselves in the shoes of Ananias. Who could have easily said, hey, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know how much people are afraid of you. We are not going to let you be a part of what we're doing here. But that's not what he does. It's the same imagery. If he pulls up a, t- a seat at the table and says, hey, you have a place here too. And I puts his hands on him and welcomes him into this community. And do you see what happens next? It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you see what happens when we provide access versus deny it? God can work through people when you help them along their way versus denying them access and telling them, you do not belong here. You do not have a place here. Rather, what we should be doing is saying, you have a place in the kingdom of God. What can I help you do to help you get closer to who God is? I've told this story before, but some of my earliest memories with my grandmother, Miss Janine, some of you know Miss Janine, or knew Miss Janine, was going to her house on Sunday mornings. Now, I, I grew up in the South, so everything was fried. And the second that you opened that, that kitchen door, you could smell things just being, like work being done in the kitchen. 
But my job was not to stop by the food first. My job was to go through the kitchen, turn left, and go into her front room where her good couch was. Now, some of y'all know the difference between a good couch and a regular couch. The good couch was not for anyone. It was for uh, visitors or foreign dignitaries, whichever came first. And in my grandmother's house, she had this blue good couch that no one would ever sit on. We, we were not allowed to. It was a stiff couch, too. It was not friendly. It was just for, again, visitors and dignitaries. But my job was to go into that front living room and lay on my stomach and then reach as far under that good couch as I could and pull out a table leaf. And I'd, I'd drag that thing in. When I was a little kid, it was too big for me. And so I'd bear hug it and waddle it into the kitchen to where my dad would pull that, that big table apart, and then I would lift the, the leaf over to him on the other side. And then if you've ever worked with those tables that have leaves, like you want your fingers out of the way, right? You don't want to get pinched in there. But we would work together, and all of a sudden, a table that sat four people sat six. And on bigger Sundays, or maybe there were visitors in, or, or other people from our family were in, we'd add that second leaf, and we'd do the same thing. I'd go and I'd reach even further to get that second leaf, and I'd bring it out. I had no idea at that moment in my life that my grandmother was teaching me a valuable lesson about what it means to make room for people at the table. As Christians, we should not be people that say, hey, I'm sorry, we don't have a seat for you. But as followers of Jesus, what we should be doing is saying, hey, let me go under that good couch and go get the table leaf. And there were Sundays where my grandmother's kitchen table looked Podge of chairs. You know, there were chairs from the, the secretary, there were chairs from the dining room, there were chairs from the living room. But what mattered is that we all had a place at the table. And that is what God calls us to. That is the invitation that we see in Acts chapter 8 and 9. It's not this beautiful story about people meeting Jesus, but more so Jesus and God making room for people at the table. We should be providing access and helping people seek God rather than deny them access. So this week, my challenge is this. Think about the people in your life that have been denied access and make room for them at your table. I don't know what that looks like. It looks different for each of us, the people that we have at times denied access to God for. But seek them out this week and let them know that they've got room. We want to be a church that welcomes. We want to be a church that grows. But we also have to do the work of going to get those table leaves and making sure that we have room at the table. Let's stand and sing.